from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Friday. Welcome to the program. 833-482-5337 is our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's plenty to discuss tonight. You've got the uh, Houthi Rebels. They continue to do what they do. And guess what? The Americans are continuing to do what we do. With more strikes, we're going to get into that momentarily. Uh, We've also got some news coming from Capitol Hill where Hunter Biden seems to be reversing course on his testimony following his hearing yesterday. This story uh, keeps giving us new information, which is interesting. Um, Today saying he uh, would only agree to give a closed-door testimony to Congress if the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees issued new subpoenas. Hunter Biden's lawyer, Abby Lowell, made the offer in a letter today to the Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer and to Judiciary uh, Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, the two Republicans who have led the investigations into the Biden family and an impeachment inquiry uh, into President Biden. And saying uh, this, this is a, a quote from Mr. Lowell, you have not explained why you are not interested in transparency and having the American people witness the full and complete testimony of Mr. Biden at a public hearing. If you issue a new proper subpoena, now that there is a duly authorized impeachment inquiry, Mr. Biden will comply for a hearing or deposition. We will accept such a subpoena on Mr. Biden's uh, behalf, according to Mr. Lowell. Right? That's a quote from Abby Lowell, Hunter Biden's lawyer. President Biden's son had previously offered to testify in in a public setting, and he defied the subpoena to appear for a closed-door deposition last month. Then, of course, we know he showed up for yesterday's hearing for contempt. Like, hey, surprise, I'm here. And then he said, I'm out of here. That prompted Republicans to advance a resolution to hold him in contempt of Congress after a surprise appearance from Hunter Biden yesterday as one of the panels uh, debated the measure. A full House vote is scheduled next week, after which the Department of Justice could decide whether to bring charges against Hunter Biden. Now, Lowell argued that the original subpoenas from the Judiciary and Oversight Committees issued in November were invalid because the House did not formally vote to authorize an impeachment inquiry into Biden until December. In a joint statement uh, later on Friday, Comer and Jordan defended the legality of their subpoenas from November and said they plan to move forward with holding Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for now. House Republicans have been resolute in demanding Hunter Biden sit for a deposition in the ongoing impeachment inquiry. While we are heartened that Hunter Biden now says he will comply with the subpoena, make no mistake, Hunter Biden has already defied two valid lawful subpoenas. Uh, And that was from a joint uh, statement from James Comer and Jim Jordan. They added, quote, while we work to schedule a deposition date, we will not tolerate any additional stunts or delay from Hunter Biden. 
the American people will not tolerate and the House will not provide special treatment for the Biden family. The uh, Oversight Committee uh, member, ranking member, Jamie Raskin, uh, made his own statement calling on Republicans to end the push to hold Hunter in contempt, saying this, Hunter Biden is giving Republicans exactly what they are demanding. And in a letter he's offered to appear for a hearing or a deposition, it's time for the chairman, uh, both uh, Comer and Jordan, to call off this truly absurd, wasteful contempt proceeding and finally take yes for an answer, which uh, Chairman Jordan already said he certainly would do. Uh, That's according to Jamie Raskin. So... This is the, the the little bit of a blame game that they're trying to play now. It's, oh, no, I, I show up. I didn't show up. I will show up. I, I promise I will. Right? It's uh, stupid, in my opinion. Both uh, Republicans and Democrats in recent years have uh, made arguments about whether an impeachment inquiry needs a House vote to be valid. Um, I don't remember Republicans making that um, argument. I, I remember Republicans saying you have to have a House vote. And it should come from the Judiciary Committee. That's how I remember it. And I believe that when they impeached Trump, they decided to do it from the Intelligence Committee. All right, if I, Chairman Schiff, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but then, as uh, Speaker McCarthy, McCarthy moved in uh, September 23 to put various House Republican probes into the Biden family's foreign business dealings, the uh, Department of Justice handled uh, tax crimes investigation into Hunter Biden under the umbrella of an impeachment inquiry without a vote. The House later formalized the inquiry with a vote in December after the White House, citing the Trump-era Office of Legal Counsel opinion, responded to requests for information, saying the inquiry was unconstitutional. Lowell cited the same Trump-era legal opinion in his letter, Lowell urged the letter that the younger Biden said repeatedly that he would answer all pertinent and relevant questions uh, you and your colleagues have at a public hearing. Rather than accepting Mr. Biden's offer to voluntarily sit for public hearing, you're now seeking to have the full House find him in contempt based on subpoenas for a deposition that you issued on November 8th and 9th of 2023. Um, Lowell argues that the subpoenas were and are legally invalid and cannot form a legal basis to proceed with any uh, misdirected and impermissible resolution for contempt. And that's their argument. Um, I don't know if it stands or not, but either way, these guys uh, seem like they're going to continue issuing these subpoenas because uh, they want to get Hunter Biden uh, under oath and behind closed doors so that it's not a show, right, so that he can tell the truth. Hunter Biden earlier this week made that surprise appearance that we talked about, and now uh, at the oversight um, meeting, uh, committee meeting, he was joined by his lawyer and another lawyer named Kevin Morris. And they're expected to join him with uh, respect to any future depositions he has to go to. So that's uh, the latest of Hunter Biden, a little bit of an about face saying he, he will sit for the the deposition behind closed doors, something that he rejected. Uh, through this afternoon until this new letter came in from his attorney, Abby Lowell, I think around four o'clock this afternoon. <clears throat> so there we are. There we have it. Will Hunter sit? It looks like he's going to sit for a, a deposition and he's going to 
hopefully spill the beans on the big guy. We'll see how that goes. Uh, we're also going to have some discussion on the Houthis that I mentioned. Uh, we also have a discussion coming up a little bit later on how to talk to your kids about entrepreneurship. Right? For me, for with my kids, it was about the, uh, the old-fashioned lemonade stand. My kids wanted to buy this or buy that. I'd say, well, you better go set up a lemonade stand and make some money. And I would, you know, give them some guidance, but really let them do it on their own. And they learned. They learned about entrepreneurship. Uh, at least that was one way of teaching them. Um, we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about what's going on with 2024, what we can expect. Uh, a little bit of Hunter Biden maybe as well. Uh, any updates on that with uh, one of our guests. So don't go anywhere. We've got plenty to discuss. Open Phone America is coming up in a little bit. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, reading some of the some of the feedback that we get from our listeners and critics. I've got some uh, some interesting ones out there that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. I've already delivered the message to man. They know I'm not to do anything. Are we will make sure that we respond to who people they continue this outrageous behavior along with our allies. Do you have a this in Secretary Austin? I do. I'm sorry. Was it a lapse in judgment for him not to tell you earlier? Yes. Are we in the fact of proxy war later on? Say again? Are we in the fact of proxy war? No. Iran does not want to war with us. I think they are. Yes. I don't think there's any civilian casualties. That's another reason why it's a success. So there you have it. The uh, the ever youthful, virile Joe Biden sounding very tough on Iran there, saying Iran knows what's up. Right. Basically, that's what he's trying to say as the United States carries out further strikes against the Houthis. Uh, now, the what's interesting here is that uh, Biden uh, alluded to the the Houthis being terrorists, uh, something that, you know, he removed he removed them from the, the list of terrorists. And and now they're going back to calling them terrorists. And he basically says, look, it's it's not important. It doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. But I think it does matter. Because it's it's important for the people to know that it, it's because of you that you downgraded them or you know didn't acknowledge them that way when they were already designated as such. Number one, number two, uh, having all this confidence in the um, Secretary of Defense in the hospital may not be um, a horrible thing, but I, I would think you know if you're, I don't know if you're, if you're on vacation, you're at Camp David, you're somewhere other than your regular office. That's one thing. We're working remotely. 
Uh, being in a hospital bed is a different story. And from what I understand, it's uh, prostate cancers, and that can be debilitating. And, and I think a lot of Americans have concerns over this as well. So we've got um, the, the makings of, of a war, a proxy war with Iran. He says, oh, they don't want any war with us. Again, I don't know how accurate that is or isn't, but um, I'm interested in speaking with uh, one of our guests here to get to the bottom of that, and that would be General Tykert. General Tykert is with us tonight because he knows better than I do what's going on here. General John Tykert, retired U.S. Air Force General and Assistant Deputy Undersecretary of the Air Force for International Affairs. Welcome back, sir. Rich, it's great to be with you again. Thank you. My pleasure. So um, foreign affairs never been a, my forte. I look at it like I look at everything else. And, um, you know, it doesn't always make sense. Not everything always adds up. And I don't know if that's my fault or just because that's how diplomacy and, 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 and politics, uh, you know, global affairs work. But it seems to me that we've been taunted by Iran for quite a while with them blowing up every military installation in the Middle East that, where there's Americans and, and now continuing with these strikes, we finally have gotten uh, the courage up to, to strike back. And by we, I don't know if it's Joe Biden. I don't know if it's Lloyd Austin. I don't know who it is, but somebody's striking back. And uh, I'm wondering, are they getting the message? Is this effective? What's going on, sir? Rich, that's a great question. And the concern that we should all have is an understanding that American weakness invites aggression. And for the last mm -hmm. three years, we have not demonstrated strength, capability, will, or resolve. And that has only emboldened Iran and the proxies like the Houthis. And you think about the fact that for the last two months, the Houthis have been lobbing missiles into the Red Sea. And finally, only after something like 60 days, America and our allies are responding. That doesn't send a very strong signal to Iran or to the Houthis. It happens to be a very good individual response, but it's far too late to reestablish deterrence and to demonstrate American strength. You know, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and, I, and I've got to imagine, right, you're a, a general, retired general from the United States military. I can tell you, uh, I'm very proud to be an American, and I tend to think that the United States military is unmatched on this planet. Um, I can only imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, and you correct me if I am, uh, I would think that if I were a general like you are, I would think I'm incredibly badass and think that, you know, I'm, I'm part of the most badass military there ever was. And I don't understand how that disconnect happens. Right. How do we get Lloyd Austin? How do we get all of these guys that are giving advice to Biden to, to say, you know, we we're we're going to take the the weakest approach possible where we look as weak as possible and and allow ourselves to get pushed around. I really don't, I can't figure that out. Um, help me understand how these types of calculations are made. Ultimately, I think in President Biden's mind, he's a bit scared of his own shadow. Every mm. single response we've seen from America in the last three years, and whether it's leaving Afghanistan in a feckless way, or very uh, hesitant responses around Ukraine or in the Western Pacific, all of it has revolved around the president being extremely concerned that American strength will actually cause escalation and aggression. And we've just seen time and again that the less America is willing to respond, the more likely it is that we will face aggression and not um, the other way around. And I just think that our adversaries, whether it's 
Russia or China or North Korea or Iran or their proxies have seen a string of American weakness. And that has done just the opposite of deterring them. It has incited them to provoke us even further. Yeah, and, and that's and I, I agree with that 100 percent. General, I, I think my, my and I think you, you nailed it on the head. I just I, I don't know why I, I have a tough time accepting that Biden's just this big uh, scaredy cat and that he's some sort of um, mega pacifist that is willing. Uh, I feel like as as mentally compromised as he may be, as much as we can disagree on things, I find it so difficult to believe that he doesn't understand that America has to be strong. And if we're not strong, they're going to eat our lunch. And it seems like they've been eating our lunch for for years now and it's only getting worse now they're going from lunch to our snack to next thing they're going to try and take dinner and and uh i find this concerning uh do you think my response is hyperbolic or should we all be concerned well i think that we all should be concerned just as an example at least 130 times in the last three months american positions in iraq and syria have come under attack that's caused at least 73 americans to be injured at least one killed And it's interesting going back three years, I was America's senior defense official to Iraq during the changeover of administrations, and Iranian-aligned groups in Iraq were salivating at the idea of American weakness under President Biden, and we've seen it play out exactly that way in the last three years. So they knew. They were banking on this weakness, and they knew. Now, do you think it's because there was some sort of leverage, or they just, from previous uh, his previous reign as vice president and maybe public comments, that they knew that he'd be feckless? I think in general they saw him as somebody that did not exude strength, but I think they also diagnosed appropriately that he was begging them to get back into the nuclear deal and wouldn't do anything that would compromise his desire to see that legacy fulfilled. And indeed, as we've seen things play out, we're not back in the nuclear deal, uh, and we continue to demonstrate weakness and fecklessness that, again, just further invites this arc of instability that has been promoted by Iran for a long time. Folks, we're on with General John Teichert. He's a retired U.S. Air Force general and the uh, former assistant deputy undersecretary of the Air Force for International Affairs. He's uh, currently the president of Capital Leadership, and he's running for the Senate. We're going to talk about that as well. I want to talk about Israel a little bit. I want to continue uh, this conversation with the Houthis and everything else going on in the Middle East and more when we return. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. We continue our conversation with General John Teichert, uh, former Assistant Deputy Undersecretary of the Air Force for International Affairs and uh, current candidate for the Senate in Maryland. Uh, General, I want to put a pin in this stuff in the Middle East and get your thoughts on how do you think this goes from here with us responding to these strikes? Is that going to be enough to keep them at bay? Do they laugh at it? Uh, is it kind of a shoving match that they think they can win? What say you? Rich, I actually think that this particular series of strikes from last night was far more robust than anything that we've done against the Iranian-aligned groups in Iraq and in Syria. And so I think very specifically with the Houthis, I think that the nature of these strikes that took out several of their capabilities to actually to continue to terrorize the Red Sea will be far more effective than these late pinprick attacks that we've seen in the uh, Iranian-aligned groups in Iraq and Syria. So I actually think that there is far more likelihood that this move will cause the Houthis to be deterred than the other groups we've seen in the Middle East. Handicapping this conflict overall with Israel, um, do, do you think Iran backs down? Do they stop with uh, funding Hamas? How do you think that whole thing ends up? Ultimately, we have seen for decades now Iran being the largest state sponsor of terrorism. And whether it's Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, um, you see that they continue to find ways to sow seeds of instability in the Middle East. But ultimately, that has been facilitated by American weakness, specifically $150 billion of ultimate relax of, uh, of the um, limits on Iranian economy under the Obama administration when they first entered the nuclear deal. And then we just see that that's been further exacerbated by weakness under the current administration. Uh, but when they are put in check by American strength, then the Iranians back down. And ultimately, we saw that from 2016 through 2020, certainly with the strike on that Iranian General Soleimani. But mm. the only way that Iran is deterred is when they firmly believe that America is going to demonstrate their capability through will and result. Do you think we see a, uh, a, a, a an end to the, the violence between Hamas and, and the IDF um, anytime soon, or is it going to be long and drawn out? Urban warfare and certainly underground warfare with hostages involved is an extremely challenging proposition. The IDF in the last three months has done a lot to take the fight to Hamas and do their best to defeat them, but ultimately rooting out the residual elements of Hamas and then finding a way to govern Gaza in a way that doesn't allow them to reemerge is an extremely challenging proposition. From the very beginning of this conflict, there have been sure. three primary objectives in the minds of the Israelis. That's been to defeat Hamas, to regain hostages, and to deter other actors in the region. But now they need to start shifting to the aftermath of the primary combat in the area and finding ways to infuse stability and security for the long term for the benefit of Israel. And General, I know that you've uh, you've launched a campaign for the Senate. Uh, let's talk about that. What inspired that? And and how can this audience help? I appreciate that, Rich. I swore my oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States as an ROTC cadet in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, as a 17 year old. And I meant it as a commitment for a lifetime. 
And as I watched American weakness and dysfunction in a variety of ways, I became convinced, at least as of two years ago, that the best way that I could fulfill that oath and demonstrate my love of our country is to jump in to run for the United States Senate. And it's been a great three months thus far as I've crisscrossed the state. I've gained endorsements. I've raised money. I've had a lot of interviews, Rich, like spending time with you, and I so appreciate that. And right now I'm asking people to do four primary things to pray for me, to follow along at tigertformaryland.com, to share with their network if they like what they see, and then ultimately to financially contribute uh, as they see fit. And if people would do those four things, there's a real opening with an incumbent retiring for me not only to win here, but to flip the U.S. Senate red and to help wrestle our nation back to where we belong. What do you see as the biggest challenge you have, um, you know, presuming you, you win? Um, what, what's your first order of business? Right now, we need leadership in Washington, D.C., and not politics. I've spent my career as an Air Force general and a fighter pilot and a test pilot being a leader, solving real problems with real solutions with a variety of people. And right now, we tend to linger on those things that make us different instead of realizing the American people have sent individuals to Washington, D.C. to actually solve the problems with the economy and with education and with public safety and certainly with national security. And right now we need leadership, not politics, to do the things that the American people need us to do. General, uh, I love what I'm hearing. If um, people want to contribute financially, what's the website for them to visit? It is. It's Tykert. My last name is spelled T-E-I-C-H-E-R-T for F-O-R Maryland.com. I would love it if people would check us out. And I think the ramifications of this race go far beyond Maryland that every American should be paying attention as we're going to be the underdog that surprises everybody by a victory in November. It sounds good to me. Uh, what do you think um, in terms of uh, the other races that are uh, on the ballot this November, do you see a, a win for Republicans in the cards? Do you think Democrats can galvanize around uh, President Biden? Do you think they switch him out at the convention? How do you see that landscape unfolding? Republicans and conservatives really need to be concerned that we need to do whatever we can, not just to make sure that President Biden doesn't have an additional term, but to also maintain and strengthen our lead in the House and retake the Senate. And that's going to take a lot of very good candidates, but also candidates that take the argument to the American people that conservatives had the solutions to the problems that they really care about. And I think if we can do that at every level, then we can spark a conservative movement that can help bring about a revival of foundational principles in our country. That makes a ton of sense to me, folks. General John Tykert, check out his website, tykertformaryland.com. That's T-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, formaryland.com. Uh, check out the website. Give him a follow on social media and uh, send him a few bucks if you like what you hear. General, I want to thank you for being with us and sharing your insight and analysis. And Godspeed to you and the campaign. Rich, thank you very much. Have me on anytime, please. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We continue our discussion on the Houthis and everything else going on in America at night. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And as we've been discussing, there have been additional strikes that were carried out. Yesterday, there were some strikes. The United States uh, hit the Houthis at uh, several locations trying to take out their uh, ability to operate. And today, additional strikes were launched. Uh, John Kirby, Admiral John Kirby, former Admiral John Kirby, was on MSNBC today. And um, he says that these strikes in Yemen... Uh, were fully uh, led by Lloyd Austin, even from his hospital bed. Listen to this. Secretary Austin ordered these strikes. He's been in the hospital, as we've been reporting, since January 1st. Can you shed more light on how he directed these strikes from the hospital? He was uh, involved actively and intimately all day yesterday uh, with the national security team here at the White House and, of course, with the commander-in-chief, with President Biden, uh, tracking all the developments and right in on all the discussions and the decisions that were made as we uh, approached the hour where we uh, where we knew we were going to go ahead and, and launch these strikes. He was fully engaged, uh, even from his hospital bed. Now, John Kirby uh, continued uh, in his press conference, but, uh, again, the strikes that we're talking about, are the ones that General Teichert was just talking about as well that were a little bit more uh, coordinated, right? These are uh, um, multi, multi-faceted attacks on 30 different locations uh, in a particular region that spans across um, multiple nations. So these uh, additional strikes were carried out today, smaller in scope and targeting radar facilities that are used by the Houthis in order to uh, to launch the rockets that they've been launching. Now, they fired at least one anti-ship ballistic missile towards a commercial vessel earlier today. That's according to um, uh, Lieutenant General Douglas Sims II. And on Thursday, which was yesterday, we talked about this a little bit, um, the United States and the U.K. struck 28 separate uh, Houthi sites in attempt to disrupt their ability to fire upon international shipping uh, lanes in the Red Sea. Uh, So between yesterday's strikes and today, it seems like uh, we're putting a dent in in their uh, operations. Now, the latest strike was carried out unilaterally by the United States. The U.S. uh, threatened the possibility of additional military action if the Houthis continued to carry out drone and missile attacks on these commercial vehicles in the Red Sea. Uh, with um, President Biden saying, we will make sure we uh, respond to the Houthis if they continue this outrageous behavior along with our allies. And he said that uh, from Pennsylvania earlier today, uh, same as the clip you heard earlier. So the um, general, what's his name? Uh, Forgive me, Admiral Kirby. He continued uh, and really doubling down here on the, the fact that that the president has the full faith and confidence um, of the secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin, and in his leadership. Listen to this. There have been calls for Austin to resign because of his lack of transparency involving his hospitalization and his prognosis, his diagnosis. What's your response to that? 
Uh, the president has, has made it clear. Uh, secretary Austin is his defense secretary, will remain his defense secretary. He has full faith and confidence in, uh, in Secretary Austin and his leadership. And that leadership, as we just talked about, was on display uh, to everybody in the national security team as uh, as he in a hospital bed, still uh, leading and commanding our forces uh, in some dangerous missions here. So that's where we are now. Again, the um, the U.S., their goal is to kind of uh, chop them off at the knees, if you will. And after these uh, U.S.-led strikes, the um, Houthis, who are backed by Iran, launched another anti-ship uh, ballistic missile towards a commercial vessel in the Gulf of Aden in uh, that's just south of uh, Yemen. It was not immediately clear as of the time of this report, and I'm looking at a, a piece in CNN, that the additional U.S. strikes were in response to this anti-ballistic missile launch or just a continuation of previous attacks by the U.S. That's uncertain at this time. Uh, but what's certain to me is they'll eventually figure it out if you keep hitting them. If you don't keep hitting them, then they won't figure it out. Anyway, I want to get to your calls and more as we move forward throughout our topics this evening. The phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. If you guys were tuned in yesterday to the show during uh, Open Phone America, there was a story, an interesting story that I, I teased, and I didn't get to finish it because we were wrapping up with calls and we ran out of time. But it was about this guy, uh, it's a single guy, a bachelor, who sued a dozen women for $75 bucks after they claimed uh, he was very clingy and he was a serial ghoster. And they did this on a Facebook page called are we dating the same guy funny story right um and uh, this is in the new york post says love doesn't cost a thing unless he wins this uh, guy in chicago suing dozens of women for 75 million bucks after they posted negative reviews on the are we dating the same guy facebook page describing him as very clingy and a ghoster the guy's name is nico d'ambrosio he is 32 years old. He claims his reputation was sullied after his name and photo were shared in the Facebook group's Chicago edition uh, last year, sparking a slew of defamatory comments about him, according to the complaint that he filed earlier this week. Now, it's a private Facebook group, and it originated in New York City as part of a wider network of pages where women regularly share information about negative dating experiences that they've had in their respective cities. And they ask each other for advice about what they call red flags. D'Ambrosio uh, said that he first met the woman who made the original post at an event in Chicago last year. And they had a uh, casual relationship 
that started that evening and um, continued or didn't. <laughs> and <clears throat> there are some screenshots here where an anonymous member is saying, we met organically in Chicago two and a half months ago, very clingy, very fast, flaunted money very awkwardly and kept talking about how I don't want to see his bad side, especially when he was on business calls. He came to see me yesterday, yada, yada, yada. Um, this person went on to say that they blocked the guy's number and that's why they're adding more screenshots. Now, he alleges that the woman later took uh, to the Facebook group to spread lies about him, including that he got very clingy, very fast, flaunted his money and kept talking about how he didn't uh, she didn't want to see his bad side. D'Ambrosio alleges that the woman had initially shared the post under her real name, but deleted it and reposted it anonymously after his lawyers made contact with her last month. The post prompted a flurry of comments from other women who alleged they'd had similar encounters with him or had seen a prior post warning about his apparent red flags. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Imagine going on a date with a girl. She's like, oh, I've heard about you. You've got red flags. It's like, geez, uh, you know, figure them out on your own. Don't take somebody else's word for it. Wow. Anyway, one person saying, I went out with this guy a couple of times over a year ago. He told me that I didn't want to. Let me see. He told me that I wanted to hear. He told me what I wanted to hear. Excuse me. Take two. Uh, until we were intimate. And then he ghosted me. I never heard from him again. She recommends steering clear of this guy. Another woman commented according to uh, a screenshot that was included. Uh, then she says, uh, he's been posted on here before. And he's got lots of texts that are floating around here. Uh, let's see what else. D'Ambrosio has a lawsuit targeting 27 named women, including moderators of the group, as well as a number of Jane Doe's and various other uh, uh, Facebook um, members. So that's the story here. And what's interesting is, you know, is this fair? Is this not fair? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I guess it's free speech. Uh, but I know I don't want to be the recipient of that. The last thing I want to do is go on a date and have some girl go, oh, yeah, uh, Rich Valdez. Yeah, he's a radio guy. He's um, he's not a nice guy or he's not this or he's whatever. And, you know, and just, I don't know, makes you a little bit too out there, I think, you know, too too public, not, not enough privacy, uh, in my opinion. But again, if that's how it works, that's how it works. These are the risks you take every day when you go outside your home. I don't know the, the answer, the long-term answer to this, but I do know that that was a crazy story and I wanted to share it with you. And I started it yesterday and I didn't get a chance to finish it. Uh, a little bit later on, we're going to continue our conversations uh, with some of our guests. And one of the things that we're going to talk about is how to introduce entrepreneurship to children. How do you teach your kids about, um, about that and other things? Uh, we're going to do that with the author of Stop, Drop, Grow, and Glow, uh, forming deeper and more joyful connections with yourself and your children. I think that's important. Uh, you don't realize how important that is until you're probably done forming those connections and you know you realize, man, I could have done a better job at it. So uh, we'll be doing that straight ahead. Plus your calls if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Don't go anywhere, folks. I'm Rich Valdez and we're just getting started.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you tonight. It's Friday night, and if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to get into a bunch of things tonight. Uh, we've talked a little about the Houthis. We talked about this guy that's suing these girls. Uh, we'll talk more about that, I guess, in the uh, open phone segment. Uh, but I want to also direct some of our attention to uh, the headlines of the day. We've got uh, the United States hitting back, hitting more than 60 targets at numerous uh, Iran-backed Houthi facilities inside Yemen. Um, that That's going on. We just talked about that. Uh, we also have the the um, story that I mentioned, excuse me, lost my train of thought for a second, uh, of Hunter Biden uh, trying to uh, avoid being held in contempt of Congress and uh, saying, yeah, no, no, all right, all right, listen, I'll meet with you guys behind closed doors. I said no, but now I say yes, because when you said it, it was wrong and it was illegal, but now it's legal. and <laughs> It's just... Uh, it seems like a delay tactic, uh, trying to get away with as much as he can. And I don't blame him for that. If I was in his shoes, I'd probably do the same thing. But we had that. And then there's, you know, um, on the softer, more practical side of things, how do we tell our kids about this stuff, right? How do we explain to our kids what a Hunter Biden is? How do we, you know, uh, the president's son, he made lots of mistakes. He did X, Y, and Z. Don't do that when you grow up, you know, that type of thing. But there's a lot of things that we want to teach our children, uh, not the least of which is, you know, how to be good people, how to do the right thing, how to, you know, be kind and nice and sweet um, and, and full of joy uh, and how to defend yourself financially, right? How to be uh, more entrepreneurial in life. And these are all important lessons. Holly Swenson, she's been a guest on this program before. Uh, she's a nurse by trade and an author as well. She wrote the book, Stop, Drop, Grow, and Glow, Forming Deeper and More Joyful Connections with Yourself and Your Children, which I think is a really interesting thing. Because, you know, when I was raising my kids when they were little, there might have been books out there, but I didn't know about them, about you know, doing the right thing by your kids. And I think oftentimes all parents want to do the right thing, but you don't always know how to, right? You only know how to do what you know how to do. And which is usually repeating the cycles of things that um, your parents did for you and those that you thought were wrong, you change and you adjust. You're like, I won't do that. I remember my dad did that. I hated that. You know, you change those things. But ultimately there's a lot to learn to child rearing, uh, about child rearing. And the, the more you read, the more you know, the better. So I want to jump into this topic uh, with our guest, Holly Swenson. Welcome back. Hi, Rich. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. And I, I want to, uh, I guess, specifically talk about this because you've got, uh, I'm looking at this article. It's a very interesting article um, in, um, in fee.org. 
and says, kids ordered to pay sales tax at Children's Expo receive a sad lesson in entrepreneurship. And and that's, of course, obviously, uh, I can only imagine a kid thinking that they're doing X, Y, and Z, and then when they have to pay sales tax, it, they probably feel robbed, just like I did the first time that, you know, I had to pay my, my business taxes when I started a business as a young man. But these are important lessons in life that need to be taught, and uh, I want you to tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah. So, you know, I thought this was an interesting article as well. I, I had to do a double read through this one because it was um, definitely a first in, you know, learning about a, a, a children's market um, that happens once a year and it's about four hour about four hours in length. Mm. Um, but, but one municipality did um, start to add on a sales tax. And so, uh, you know, I think it's a teaching, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors for kids is, is tremendous. I think it should be celebrated and encouraged um, because ultimately it builds confidence. It's teaching them about creating goods, executing sales, you know, letting their creativity soar. I mean, there's so many positives to encouraging this type of endeavor. Um, I think it's totally awesome. Uh, this children's market um, started in 2017 in Utah Right. in a couple of locations. And it's been really, uh, it's really exploded. It's been very popular. Um, and so the kids are the ones that are supposed to do the selling. The parents, uh, you know, can help set up the booth, but they're really supposed to sit back and relax and let the kids, uh, you know, run the show. Off. Exactly. Which I think is great. Um, and you know, and it's for kids ages five through 17 and, you know, and they're doing all kinds of cool things. Um, but with this article, what was interesting is um, the one municipality, um, you know, essentially they, um, uh, you know, the, the biggest issue seems to be that this with the sales tax burden, uh, it's falling on the parents' shoulders. Um, and it's only this one municipality that's um, instituted this type of, of thing. But it, but it is kind of an interesting Uh, thing to consider uh, because, you know, yes, we're all going to pay taxes. Um, You know, the famous saying of, you know, there's only two things that are certain in life, which is death and taxes. And in in this instance, even if you're eight, you know, (laughs) so, (laughs) uh, um, you know, but I also think that there, there is an element of like, you know, the amount of money that I think is involved seems fairly inconsequential. So I wonder how, uh, productive it is uh, to be going after this type of thing for state officials, for the parents and for the kids. I mean, I, I think we should try to maybe keep it a little more uh, joyful and not, you know, the paperwork factor uh, for this kind of thing that's only a four hour uh, long session is something that might, you know, maybe need to be reconsidered. But mm-hmm. there's probably lots of different thoughts on that. Well, Holly Swenson, um, I think the book you've written is fantastic. And I think it, it's important to, to learn these lessons. Why, why did you uh, hone in on this particular topic? Why do you think it's important for this lesson to, to be taught and learned, uh, you know, for our children? Many of them may never end up in sales or end up in business. Um, I agree that it's a good thing to learn and makes you that much uh, better at negotiating life in general when you have those skills. But what was the impetus uh, for you to to think, you know, we need to do more of this and teach kids about this stuff? Well, you know, like for us, we have four boys and honestly, they they are all pretty entrepreneurial. We've had they've had like dueling lemonade stands from one block to the next. (laughs) And so uh, my husband's an entrepreneur, you know, I and I think a lot of these lessons start in childhood. Um, And I think the thing that's cool about it is I think it also helps your kids 
you know, learn how to excel. It keeps them out of trouble and, and more engaged with their community. It's teaching them these skills that they're going to carry with them throughout their lives. You know, so whether it's, you know, selling lemonade, mowing lawns, raking leaves, you know, all of these things, um, you know, it's teaching them, you know, what it means to earn a dollar and, and how to be more productive in, in society. Uh, you know, and so I think it's a, it's a something that's, that's worth celebrating and worth encouraging, um, you know, and I, I think it gives kids a sense of empowerment um, from a young age, like I said, that will carry with them throughout their lives as they grow and, and step into whatever profession it is they choose to do. Holly Swenson wrote the book, Stop, Drop, Grow, and Glow. And um, the uh, subtitle on that is Forming Deeper and More Joyful Connections with Yourself and Your Children. Uh, this is something I think is important. And again, I like to talk about this stuff because nobody was really talking about it with me. Right. When my kids were coming up in the school of hard knocks and I, I wish I could have been a little bit more uh, understanding and uh, softer, gentler, kinder. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't know until you until you know. But um, definitely some good stuff to talk about. We're going to come back and continue this discussion on your book and everything else that we're, uh, we've got on the table tonight. Folks, don't go anywhere. If you have any questions for Holly Swenson, feel free. Give us a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back, amigos. We continue our conversation with Holly Swenson. She's a nurse and the author of Stop, Drop, Grow, and Glow, forming deeper and more joyful connections with yourself and your children. And so many parents dream of being a parent in a more peaceful manner, a more patient manner, uh, parenting with more intentionality and balance and joy. And how people do it, it you know, obviously is going to vary, but there's a couple of fundamentals. And you know, I think oftentimes you spend a lifetime rearing your own kids. And, and that's why parents uh, become the best parents when they become grandparents, right? Because they've kind of figured out, they've uh, finally figured out how to do it right. And, and it comes with a lot of trial and error because, you know, the famous saying is, you know, these kids don't come with a manual. And that's true. But there are books like this one that can uh, offer a helping hand. And uh, you don't always have to be drained by this. I think Holly Swenson writes about that. Holly Swenson, uh, for those who, uh, you know, aren't familiar with your book or the last time you visited us, um, just give us a refresher on some of the things that you you point out in uh, the mindset that goes into parenting with this type of intentionality. I mean, you know, I am an author on the rise and really just on this mission to bring more wellness, joy, and intentionality to parenting and beyond. And so... For me, I really wanted to create a framework to help parents, you know, kind of take it to the next level and, and learn how to thrive and not just feel like they're surviving, you know, being a parent. Because I, I think that it is possible to really uh, step into more wellness as a parent. Um, I think a lot of parents don't 
prioritize self-care. And I think that's a big thing that I speak to. I think self-care needs to be reframed uh, and not be seen as selfish. I think we, you know, are hard on ourselves if we take time for, for ourselves. But I think, you know, if you make time to exercise or, um, you know, meditate or, you know, whatever it takes for you to find some of your peace, you know, every day, I really think it's an everyday practice um, for for the highest level of wellness. Uh, it's going to make you a better parent. It's going to make you show up for your loved ones in a way that you feel proud of. And, uh, you know, it's going to help you be just more productive in life overall. But this framework is really in my title. So it's Stop, Drop, Grow, and Glow. And, you know, Stop is about assessing where you are to date. It's a personal check-in on how you're doing as a person, um, you know, but also as a parent and doing some internal gazing on what's going well and in addition to what might not be going well and really getting honest. And, and that's really the first, um, the first stop. And then drop is about working to drop any drama, trauma, or past lived experiences uh, or even familial baggage that's keeping you from living your best life. Uh, because when you're stuck in the past, it keeps you from living in the now or being able to show up fully. And then grow. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to keep going? <laughs> yeah, please. I, I just, uh, it's great the way it just rolls off the tongue for you because these are things that, you know, I, I wish I knew this stuff when I was 20. Some of it I figured out along the way, uh, but uh, it's great to see that you've put it all out there. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I just, I think there are like external circumstances in parenting and life that you, you know, you have to learn how to partner with your internal resources to guide and support you. And so that's what this is really about. And grow is learning how to expand your awareness uh, as a parent and lean on habits that will support and nourish you on a deeper level. So mindfulness practices, which are becoming huge and easily accessible, prioritizing your sleep uh, for yourself and for your kids, eating well, uh, you know, and, and making time to move your body every day. All of those things are going to help you to thrive. Uh, and then glow is really, you know, learning, as I mentioned before, practicing self-care because self-care is what's going to keep you tended to, um, you know, and, and, you know, keep dreaming as a parent. I think that's super important. You know, I'm, I've got four kids still at home, but I'm, you know, living my dream of, I just, I just wrote a book. I'm, I'm doing things that um, are also filling my cup. Uh, and I'm able to give back in that way as well as being a mother. So I think it's important for parents to not put everything that they're interested in on, you know, on the, on the side burner. You know, you can stoke both of them at the same time. It might not be easy, but if it's something you want, it's, well, it's, it's worth going after. Um, you know, and I just think finding your radiance and luminosity as a parent is possible and attainable. And this book will show you how to make it happen. You know, Holly Swenson, as you're going through that, it, it really reminds me, I took a trip uh, over the, not over the holidays, actually last week, and uh, it always um, strikes me as um, like a slap in the face when the flight attendant is on, you know, giving the instructions for emergencies and says, make sure you put on your mask first before you help anybody else. And um, it, it's counterintuitive for those of you that think, you know, if there's a little old lady next to you or, you know, somebody with small children that you may want to try to assist them first and be chivalrous or, you know, caring in one way or another. But the reality is you can't help other people if you're passing out because there's a lack of air pressure and whatnot. And you've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of somebody else. And that's in, in many ways when you talk about self-care or you, you talk about, um, you know, prioritizing meditation or all, any of those things. It, it all has to do with you being the best version of yourself that you could be and making yourself healthy and happy and functional is, is a big part of that. 
irrespective of, you know, how people may perceive it as, you know, being self-centered or selfish or, or anything like that. And, uh, and I think that's a huge lesson that gets overlooked all too often. Yes, I think you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely correct. Yeah, and I'm, I'm only learning it as, as an adult now. You know, I, I, I struggled as a young dad and, uh, you know, trying to give them everything I had. And now that I'm older, I realize, you know, I've got to go to the gym. I've got to, you know, have a clear mind. Otherwise, I'm going to lose it. And then I'm not doing anybody any favors. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think, you know, another component of, of this, my book, is there's also um, reflection. I put a lot of reflection questions at the end of each chapter because I think it's important to, you know, whether you're actively parenting now or whether you're a grandparent, I've had both parents and grandparents say this book has been powerful for them. But when you pause and you think deeply and look a little closer at your life, it allows you to shift and find more compassion for yourself and, you know, for the ones in your life, you know, if you're struggling with your kid or if you're struggling with your spouse, I mean, you've got to have some self-awareness and, and you've got to, you know, kind of activate, you know, your own wellness to start, you know, making changes that you might want in your life. You, you got to wake up to it. Now, if people want to um, learn about the work that you do or get a copy or three of this book and give one to a friend, how do they go about following you and, um, and getting a copy of the book? Yes, my book, Stop, Drop, Grow, and Glow, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you buy your books. It's also available on Audible and anywhere you buy your audiobooks. And then you can follow me uh, at liveyourglow.live. Outstanding. Uh, is there a website anybody could uh, take a look at uh, for the book specifically, or is it just the main website? So that is my, yeah, you can find my book through my website um, as well, which is liveyourglow.live. It's right there at the top. Okay, perfect. Uh, folks, check out the website. Uh, the book can be uh, bought there as well. The book, again, Stop, Drop, Grow, and Glow, Forming Deeper and More Joyful Connections with Yourself and Your Children. Uh, Holly Swenson, I want to thank you, A, for writing the book, and B, for coming back and sharing a little bit more about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rich. You bet. Godspeed to you. And, folks, we're going to continue our discussion on everything that's going on tonight, as well as uh, a little bit more on what's happening in 2024, how the legal system is being uh, contorted to make things happen, and what it's going to look like in 2024 if we do indeed have a matchup that's just like the one we had in 2020, Trump v. Biden. What is that going to look like? Well, we're going to get into a conversation on that straight ahead. Plus, your calls. Open Phone America is coming up in a little while. 833-482-5337. Give us a call. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is a neck-and-neck neck race, and no one feels very comfortable on the Democratic side of things that Donald Trump isn't going to be the next president. Well, I don't think that nobody feels. I think many of us know that it is impossible uh, for him to be the president again well, with what he is that? proposing. 
Well, because when you're talking about what he's talking about now is more tax cuts for corporate America, taking them down so low to the detriment uh, uh, of our budget and meeting the needs of people. That, of course, is uh, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, saying that it's impossible. We can't have Trump back. Nobody in their right mind. And uh, she's uh, she's something else. But I think there's a lot of people that probably agree with her that um, they either they don't want or don't think that Trump can win again. And I want to get to the bottom of those kinds of thoughts uh, with our next guest, uh, Gerard Felitti. He's a political strategist. He's also the uh, senior counsel at the Lawfare Project. Gerard, welcome, sir. Pleasure to be with you. You bet. So let's uh, take it from Nancy Pelosi's comments that <laughs> she believes that it's impossible for Trump to become president again. What say you? Well, that's wishful thinking on her part. And quite frankly, if she had better judgment and better sense, the Democrats would still be in control of Congress and things would be different right now. But I think that wish fulfillment is not reality and that Donald Trump has a very good chance of being president again. Yeah, I I agree. Now, where do you think sentiment like this comes from? Is it just partisanship? I don't like Trump, so I'm going to say I think it's impossible for him to get elected. Whether I like Trump or not, I don't think you could really refute all the polls. I mean, you could say the polls are full of it, but something is guiding the polls. Uh, there seems to be report after report when they do these uh, interviews of people on the street. More and more people are saying, yeah, yeah, we missed Trump. We liked it. He, we were making money then. It's a better situation um, when, when Trump's in office than when he's not in office. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of, for me, it's a foregone conclusion that there, more and more Americans are just would rather see him back in office than continue along the lines that we've been on where um, we're not earning as much. We're not as safe. And it's just not um, it's not as uh, tenable uh, to be an American as it was uh, just a few years ago. Your thoughts? Well, we're in midway through January. Most of us are getting our credit card bills from Christmas, and we're seeing that we spent way more than the year before. And that's not because we're better off. That's because prices are more expensive, our wages have not gone up, and the economy's not in great shape. And these are facts that drive voters to Trump, not Biden, because Biden hasn't done anything to help the economy. Then you turn on the TV, you see that we are shooting rockets at Yemen. We are uh, involved in multiple wars, even if we're not officially involved in those wars. Uh, We are in a position on the world stage. China and Russia are taking preeminence in the Middle East, Africa, South America. Their economies are expanding. We seem to be stuck in limbo. And you come to the conclusion, you know what, we're not better off today than we were when Donald Trump was president. We were doing pretty well back then. So maybe that's what we want to do in November is to go back to the good times. I would agree with that. And what do you think it takes to get us there? I mean, obviously, we have to win an election um, and, and change leadership and restore policies. Um, that part is a given. But I feel like there's a, a lot of hurdles to overcome to get to that point. Um, how I guess what, I guess my question is, what do you think the likelihood of that happening uh, in in between now and Election Day is? Unfortunately, I don't hold out much hope that we will get all the change that we need. To go back to the way things were, to have a better society, we need real change. And that's not just in the White House, that's in Congress, too. Giving Donald Trump the Oval Office, but having the Democrats in Congress, especially if they manage to somehow win the House, which is not improbable, 
means that Donald Trump will likely be impeached week after week after week, and we will see nothing but political battles dressed up as legal issues, and it will shut down the government because it will be hyper-partisan. So we, we need to come out strong. You need to go and support your candidate in November because if we have a divided government, it's a recipe for more log jams and nothing getting done. But at the same time, we as a nation need to heal. We need to find common ground and come together because we have been increasingly divided. We're being pitted against one another. And the only people who win are you know, not us. So we need a moment of healing. We need unity and we need to come together as a country again. I agree with that. I think if people don't mobilize, we're screwed. Uh, folks, we are on with uh, Gerard Felitti. Uh, the lawfareproject.org is his website. We're going to continue our discussion on 2024 and his analysis of the upcoming race and what uh, Trump v. Biden part two would look like. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our conversation with Gerard Felitti. He's a political strategist and senior counsel at the Lawfare Project. And, of course, following uh, uh, this segment, we're going to begin Open Phone America, where you get to weigh in from all over the country and talk about whatever you want, which is always uh, fun, especially on a Friday night. Now, Gerard, I want you to listen to this clip from James Clyburn uh, and what he's suggesting here. Check this out. We do know uh, that voter suppression is well uh, in the, this process. And that is what concerns me, whether or not we're going to do the things to overcome that uh, suppression that is taking place. And I mean, you can only see a wall of information, which I call misinformation, uh, out there, and people are not getting the actual facts. Then that's, that's what concerns me. Now, Congressman uh, Clyburn here, He's suggesting that there's voter suppression. I'm not going to say that there isn't because um, I think there are people that wanted to vote in 2020 and weren't able to. People that voted and their votes may not have been counted. There's a lot of things that happened. Um, I think they're suggesting that it goes one way and I think it might be going another. But um, as senior counsel at the Lawfare Project, I'm sure you've followed a lot of the the legal aspects uh, of different challenges in the 2020 election and how things have changed from that election to this election. What are your thoughts on what Congressman Clyburn said? I, I think that he is right, but not in the way he intends to be. I think we're seeing voter suppression in this election already, and that's with the challenges to who can be on the ballot in each state. Right. That's pretty, you're already suppressing what people want, their choice to be on the ballot. So that's the preliminary threshold, which we haven't had in previous elections, not to this extent. 
you, you do see changes in rules in different states for voting, for early voting especially, and for mail-in ballots. These are rules that will be confusing to a lot of people as we get closer to Election Day and will result in people either voting twice accidentally by mail and in person uh, mm-hmm. or not voting at all. So there are legitimate concerns here, but in many aspects, this tends to favor the Democrats rather than the Republicans. Republicans traditionally show up in person. Democrats take advantage of other means. So when you make it confusing to vote in person, which really should be the simplest thing in the world, you are suppressing votes. And and that is going to be a bigger issue now than in previous elections. Now, what do you think a potential solution to that is? I know that they've tried to address a lot of the... Um the legal issues uh, through Act 77 in Pennsylvania, and uh, they, they've addressed some of it in Wisconsin and other states that were in question. Uh, but what, what do you think the ultimate solution is to, to have the most robust, fair election possible in 24? Unfortunately, I don't think that we have time to implement the, the best solution. I think that this, this is something that we are kind of stuck right now with whatever laws have been passed state to state. So we will continue seeing issues mostly in sub-states where, where these reforms were not in place yet. But really what we need is clarity and perhaps consistency. And while each state can regulate its own voting, I think that increasingly we're seeing a call for having uniformity across the country into both process and, quite frankly, identity, identity verification. That's, that should be a no-brainer, but Democrats have been dragging their feet on that for years, and that would resolve a lot of questions and solve a lot of challenges before they even come up. Yeah, I agree with that. And... What do you think about this uh, repeat of of Trump v. Biden? Uh, do you think that Americans are fatigued by the Trump v. Biden uh, drama? Do you think that they're excited about it and they're going to turn out in droves? How do you think uh, Trump v. Biden plays out in terms of voter turnout and in uh, overall just um, enthusiasm for the election? Well, I I hate to hedge my bets, but I think it's a little too early to to say, and I'll tell you why. If the election were held today, enthusiasm for Donald Trump would be huge. If the election were held today, he would win in a landslide. The problem is we've still got 10 months of lawsuits, trials, Biden being impeached, hearings on the Hill. You're going to have Trump v. Biden playing out not just in electoral politics, but in the courtroom and on TV day after day. And that could very well lead voter exhaustion. So the issue really is, on Election Day, who gets the vote out? Whose people are energized and still willing to come and vote? Now, I think that this election is likely going to favor the Republicans. I think that with Biden, there is a lot of questioning as to whether he is even the right person to be on the ticket. So that will drive people to stay home. We saw this with other candidates. We, we saw this with Republicans in 2008, for example. Obama didn't win by landslide because all these new people went out to vote for him. But people were fatigued with the Republicans and John McCain. This could be an inverse of that, where people are fatigued of seeing Biden turmoil uh, and come out to vote for Trump because, you know, he has a stronger base right now. Do you think the number one issue is the economy or is it something else? The number one issue technically is the economy, but the economy plays into so many different things. The border, for example, that's an economic issue. We, we have migrants who are coming. We, we don't have a way to deal with them. We can't house them, feed them, educate them without raising taxes for everyone. So that becomes an economic issue. National security, we have increased defense costs. We're funding other wars. We're committing to the defense of our allies. That's an increase in taxes. It's an economic issue. 
public health issues, even these things and the social issues in schools, whether you have uh, transgender sports or gender classes or whatever it is that the woke agenda is pushing, that has a real economic cost on our, not just on our kids, but on our taxes, because we're paying for this education. We're paying for lawsuits and challenges. So ultimately, the bottom line issue is the economy, and the Democrats just keep adding costs to it. Folks, we're on with Gerard Felitti, political strategist, senior counsel at the Lawfare Project. We're going to continue our conversation with him. And then it's Open Phone America. The phone number for that, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. to make a decision on someone who I cannot support. So I'm announcing this morning that I'm Never Nikki. And if you go to nevernikki.net, you can let her know that you're not a supporter either. I don't think any informed or knowledgeable libertarian or conservative should support Nikki Haley. I've seen her attitude towards our, invent- our interventions overseas. I've seen her involvement in the military industrial complex, $8 million being paid to become part of the team. But I've also seen her indicate that she thinks you should be registered to use the Internet, that people posting ideas anonymously. I think she fails to understand that our republic was founded upon people like Ben Franklin, Sam Adams, Madison, John Jay and others who posted routinely for fear of the government. They posted routinely anonymously. And I think her failure to really understand that or to think that you should register through the government somehow for the Internet is something that should disqualify her in the minds of all libertarian-leaning conservatives. Gerard Felitti is our guest, political strategist, senior counsel at the Lawfare Project, and that's Senator Rand Paul saying he's never Nikki. Now, while Nikki Haley tends to uh, lead Ron DeSantis, I think it's a foregone conclusion by many, not for me, uh, but by many, that uh, DeSantis will not break out from this point. Uh, Do you see DeSantis pulling off an upset winning in Iowa? Do you see Haley pulling off an upset winning perhaps in New Hampshire and uh, giving Trump a run for his money in either of these states, South Carolina or even Super Tuesday? Well, I don't think it's a a question of them actually winning, but it's a race for second place. And for fear of them to remain as a viable candidate, they need to do so convincingly, meaning they can't be within a few percentage points of one another. DeSantis, I think he, he might do, he might surprise people. He still has a lot of energized people, especially in, in New Hampshire, uh, who've been there for a while, making inroads for months. And that is, you know, he, that's his best chance. 
Iowa, I'm not so sure. Iowa, I think uh, Haley has invested a lot of money there to actually get people out to stand in the caucuses for her. Uh, so I do think that she's in a better position than DeSantis. But ultimately, yeah, it, it's a race for a second. And for either one to remain relevant, they need a strong showing, which they may not get. So uh, it sounds like you think Trump comes in first in, in both Iowa and New Hampshire. I think he, I think he does. I think he does. Uh, in New Hampshire by a smaller margin, in Iowa by a larger margin, but I think he does come in first. Yeah. Now, um, wh- wh- what do you think happens? Do do they stay in the race for in that race for second? And if so, for how long? Through Super Tuesday, beyond Super Tuesday, how long do do they stay in that second place? Well, it, each of them has different objectives. For DeSantis, if he doesn't make a strong showing now, he has nothing to gain by staying in it, only to embarrass himself and make it uh, make himself more the object of ridicule back in Florida. And mm-hmm. that's not going to be good for him in the long term. Nikki Haley, on the other hand, benefits by staying in longer because she's getting people more familiar with her who otherwise wouldn't be. Uh, and that's giving her a better position for the next runoff for the next election. Uh, so I think each of them has different priorities. But... Also, there may be the calculus. They're not sure what's going to happen with Trump. Maybe there'll be some change in uh, criminal proceedings. Maybe there'll be something that he stumbles with. One or the other might very well stay in it through March to see if there is still a legitimate shot of being uh, the nominee. Yeah, makes sense to me. Now, Gerard, for everybody who's listening and wants to uh, learn more about the work that you're doing and your analysis and whatnot, how do they find you? How do they follow you? How do they learn more about your work? Well, they can go on the internet to thelawfareproject.org, and that's L-A-W-F-A-R-E project.org. And I know that unlike what Nikki Haley says, you don't need to register with a government to get online. <laughs> um, or you can follow me on Twitter at Gerard Felitti. All right. Outstanding. Uh, Gerard Felitti, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. You are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I appreciate it. A pleasure. Thank you so much for your voice of reason in these turbulent times. You bet. God bless. And uh, let's see, with a minute to go, I want to go to Jim calling us from Kiwani, Illinois, W-K-E-I. Jim, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I'd like to speak on behalf of Nikki. Some, sure. I think she's a much more viable candidate and much more fit. Uh, Trump's just too unfit to be a candidate. He's kind what of makes her more fit than Trump? Well, she's she just, you know, more moral. And Say she's again? not a threat to her democracy. She's a much more moral person. Moral. Um, and, what type of threat to our democracy does uh, former President Trump pose? Well... <laughs> He betrayed his oath of office once, and he wants to take the oath of office again. What type of you betrayal know, are you uh, talking about? Uh, January 6th. What did he do on January 6th? He was supposed to protect and defend the Congress. And what did he do? And he didn't do that. He had to be talked into doing that. So what did he do? He did nothing. <laughs> he did not. So if he did nothing, then why are we holding him accountable for doing nothing? Anyway, Bill, uh, thank you, uh, Jim, excuse me. Folks, we're coming right back. Open Phone America is coming right up. More from your thoughts across America. Don't go anywhere.
the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be with you this Friday night. Give us a call, 833-482-5337. Of course, this is the third and final hour of the program. We call it Open Phone America. Open Phones Across America is where you get to weigh in on whatever topics we've been discussing, as well as any topics you want to bring to the table uh, if you disagree with me, you get moved to the front of the line. And uh, if you're a first-time caller, we try to get to you right away as well. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And uh, a bunch of things we've talked about tonight. We've talked about the uh, United States striking back against the Houthi rebels that are funded by Iran and uh, hitting 60 different facilities of theirs, trying to uh, incapacitate their ability to use radar to target ships in the Red Sea. Uh, according to our guest earlier, General Teichert, he says that this seems to be a very meaningful attack that will likely uh, slow them down. Um, my thoughts are, is this enough to get Iran to tuck tail and run? His response was, once they kind of smell fear in the water, they don't usually let go for long until they can smell fear, uh, until they smell some strength. And I don't know that uh, Secretary of Defense in the hospital, uh, president who, you know, shouldn't be running, probably doesn't even know he's running, uh, doesn't really know if he's going or coming. None of these things really inspire confidence or fear with the enemy. I think, if anything, they inspire the enemy to say, now's a good time to go after these guys uh, 65 different times in the last two or three months where they've... Uh, hit U.S. military installations or military installations where there's U.S. personnel. Uh, not a good look, but we've talked about that. We can continue to talk about that. We've talked a little bit about Hunter Biden. Uh, we also had some uh, additional discussion on a few different things. And I wanted to share something with you if I could find it. Because sometimes uh, I, I get these critiques from people, and I feel like these people aren't that smart. And I wish they were, right? I'll, I'll read one to you. This is a man named Dan Bertoni, and he writes to me, why do you support a racist womanizing POS who makes fun of military wounded warriors who's done nothing for the middle class, the uneducated and deplorables that call your show can't even name five policies that a Republican ever put into law that helped the middle class ever? Learn how the oil business works, too. I don't know where that one comes from. It's like a non sequitur there, but. I'm 4,000 shares into Exxon as an investor for 30 years. You dummies have no clue. Now, I don't remember having a conversation about how Exxon worked or how the oil business worked. I don't know why he's bringing this criticism to me, but this is his critique nonetheless. You dummies have no clue. You want the government to step in and tell the oil companies not to make a profit. 
Does that sound like something I've ever said that I want the government to step in and tell any company not to make a profit? I'm, I'm wondering what show this guy's listening to. And he says, they sell to the highest bidder, dummy. India and China are paying top dollar. Exxon makes money for their investors. You want to lock up Hillary? Have you ever heard me talk about locking up Hillary? I barely talk about Hillary. I like came out of this. That's who I like to make fun of. Anyway, he says, she never raped anyone. Are you sure about that, sir? Anyway, he, then he says, you are stupid with your politics. <laughs> uh, I call your show the rape supporter show. Uh, my response to him online was, call the show and we'll discuss. And I gave him the phone number. That was no good. He said, no, 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 I won't waste my time calling a talk show. I sit back and listen to how both sides, the far right and the far left, make fools of themselves. You being one of them. You're a, uh, a kiss butt of Mr. Trump's and you support criminals. Your hillbilly, uneducated callers are a joke. Always remember, Rich. If it wasn't for the Democrats, this country wouldn't have what it has today for the seniors, the vets, the working and middle class and Republicans. It just says Republicans tear down. They never put a health care bill together. The tax cut never helped the middle class. My conservative investors laugh when people tell him the tax cuts benefited everyone. Remember or you may need to be educated on the economy. OPEC controls the world's economy. U.S. oil companies are producing more oil now than ever before. China and India are paying top dollar. Exxon sells to make a profit. You are not a businessman. You don't know how businesses operate to make a profit. When someone tells me the government has to do something, what do you want them to do? Tell them not to make money? These companies are Republican-controlled. Say something about that on your show. Say something about how all the Southern non-union Republican controlled. I don't even understand what that means. Um, how they use undocumented and illegal workers. Can't wait to hear how you make a fool of yourself tonight. <laughs> Find another profession. Let me know how your oil investment is going. Exxon is making me a great living. One question for you. Were you proud of the POS Trump? when he said he didn't want wounded soldiers around him. I don't remember him saying that. I remember him saying he didn't like John McCain and um, specifically. Uh, my uncle has been in a wheelchair since Vietnam. He was a Republican until your idol said he was a loser. What do you say when you see a wounded vet? I say, thank you for your service. Anyway, he says, do you laugh at them? I've been raising money for 30 years for wounded warriors. You are against it. Have I ever said I was against wounded warriors? These things amaze me. Sometimes I think they're just here to troll me and uh, so that they can get a rise out of me. Tell people how proud you are to make fun of wounded vets. Have you ever heard me make fun of any vet, let alone a wounded one? Unbelievable. Anyway, that's Dan Bertoni. And I think Dan is stupid, personally, but I don't want to make a... Um, um, a an ad hominem attack against him. I do want to, um, to say that half of the things he's accusing me of, I've never said. And I think that, that, that in and of itself is just, um, proof that these people make stuff up. They conflate the shows. They listen to one guy, they listen to third guy, and then they, they take it out on me. Uh, all I say is, look, I will give you the time of day to call this show, Dan, 
feel free to give a call. Make your point. Let me know your thoughts. I've heard everything you have to say, and I, I think that you're grossly mistaken. And uh, one of these days, if you actually call and make the investment of your time, I'll have a conversation with you, and we'll go uh, tit for tat on these issues. Until then, I guess keep trolling. All right, folks, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. I just wanted to share that with you because uh, people think that, um, you know, I get these critiques and I keep them to myself. Not at all. I'll read them on the air so everybody can hear them. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. Call now 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America. I see we got calls from, let's see, Missouri, Arizona, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Missouri, New York, Oregon. We're going to go to the West Coast and check in with Sharice Roseburg, Oregon on KQEN. Sharice, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. I appreciate you taking my call. My pleasure. I was listening to the news and I heard that they're taking thousands of Ukrainian children and taking them over to Russia and distributing over there because there was supposedly a low birth rate in Russia, and they're making them Russian citizens so that Ukraine can't get them back. Have you heard anything about that? No, I haven't. What are your thoughts on that? It breaks my heart. I can't imagine losing your child for, for such a reason or even losing a child at all. And um, I don't know, I mean, I don't know the logistics of it, but I do know that it's a disgusting thing to do if that's really what's happening. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I Listen, I agree. I think this is a, a play for everything. When you're doing business like the Russians are, when you, um, I mean, I think they're on their, I don't know, I'm being exaggerated here, but uh, they're on their umpteenth general because they keep dying. They, um, th- their attrition is very high. Uh, they need men. They need men and it seems like they're stealing them now from Ukraine so that when they grow up, they can continue to fight. And it's a shame. I mean, obviously this the whole thing is a shame and it's, it's a heartbreaking thing to think that you're going to go steal kids from one place and bring them into your own country uh, to, to fuel your military or whatever else they're trying to fuel. But with the amount of casualties they've had, I can only suppose that that's what they're trying to do is, you know, the more men they have to fight, the more they can do it. And the younger you get them now, the the more they'll be around when you need them in the future. And ultimately, th- th- this needs to be um, halted, right? Th- this whole war and in, in all of these wars need to stop. And I wish there was a leader somewhere that would say, you know what, that's what we're going to do. 
But nobody's focused on it. Nobody's focused on a ceasefire in Ukraine. Nobody's focused on a ceasefire in Russia. I've never heard Joe Biden say he needs a ceasefire uh, from Vladimir Putin. And it's a shame that they're not asking for that because carnage is carnage. And they don't seem to have any problems asking for ceasefires when it comes to the Israelis trying to defend themselves. But uh, when it's the other way around or it's, it's the Russians or the Ukrainians, there's, there's no just keep have at it all the carnage, the, the, you know, the more the merrier. And I think that's wrong. And it, it, it stinks, um, you know, what you're talking about, how the, the Russian officials and, uh, and whatnot are, you know, removing children from Ukraine. It, it's horrible. It's horrible. And uh, so many people suspect that that was the genesis of, of these uh, conflicts to begin with was that children are a hot commodity for a lot of people, whether it's for labor, whether it's for brainwashing, whether it's to create an army for yourself, um, for other horrific things that uh, I won't talk about now. Uh, But people do crazy things. And uh, it's very, very, very unfortunate is all I can say. Uh, Sharice, I thank you for your call uh, from Roseburg, Oregon, KQEN, great radio station. Uh, Godspeed to you, my friend. We continue. Let's go to, let's see, where did I want to go to? Wilmington, Delaware. Let's check in with Doc on W-D-E-L. Excuse me, Doc, go right ahead. Rich, you have become, as Jim was, my my, my friend and companion of the night. Thank you, sir. I want to make two points. The first time of Ukraine here, as you know, I am, and I, I want to make a, a comment upon the comment that that your uh, um, poster wrote that I am an under, I am an uneducated hillbilly, which is for <laughs> the, first for the truth. As an American of Ukrainian heritage who has sources on the other side of the pond, I can verify what Sherry said. The Russians are definitely kidnapping Ukrainian children in 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 in, 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 in Mas and taking them by force over the border into Russia to re-educate them and, and brainwash them as Russians, okay? Yeah. This is being done at all ages, but particularly very, very small children. Now now then, that's that's to that point. To your to your, your to your poster's point, your troll's point, I am not, not an uneducated hillbilly. I have a library of over 1,000 books in my possession. They're all read. I'm an avid reader. Every time I get, a, get an author on your show, I jot it down on a legal pad, and I go out and buy the book. I have one degree already under my belt at our local university here. I'm going for a second degree, an advanced degree. I speak three foreign languages, and I've traveled widely abroad. So I'm not an uneducated hillbilly, nor are my Trumpster compatriots here in Delaware. I don't know where your guest is coming from, but he does, he does not know the Trump base. As I know the Trump base, particularly here in Delaware. Yeah, and you know, Doc, what, what really got me was, I don't care if you disagree with my politics, but when have you ever heard me advocate for the government getting involved in regulating a business? That's literally against every innermost part of my body. I, I can't stand the government getting involved in business. Have you ever heard me mention something like that? No, never. That's if crazy. Anything, That's why I know these people are fake, are. phony fraud. If anything, you're, 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 you're a CCL. You're a Christian, conservative, libertarian. That's what you are. Yeah, and that's the truth. Amen to that. Uh, I, I am very kind of live and let live like a libertarian. And uh, and I think we all should be that way, and especially when it comes to the government. I don't want the government involved in anything. And uh, that, that stuff drives me nuts because, you know, people like that, they, they, they stifle the conversation that we're trying to have. And, and I always welcome people that are disagreeing. 
And and I'm sure you do, too, in your own life when you meet people, because, you know, it, it's fun to have those conversations with people. And for people to go and badmouth people like you or me or anybody else, I think it's just unfair. It it um, it kind of cuts the conversation at its knees. And uh, there goes the public discourse, the national discourse, the national conversation that we're trying to have. Doc, I, I appreciate everything you're saying. Um, now, let's talk about this chaos. What do you think? Do you think things get more chaotic from here uh, moving forward or do they calm down? I don't know. That's good. That's a darn good question. I think this is my theory. I think the election is going to be fought on two fronts. First, a legal front, which Trump is going to win and not not and not that long, long in the state of the future at the Supreme Court level. And secondly, he's going to win this thing in a landslide. If, if, if it's a fair election, he's going to win this thing in a landslide, because here's what I'm hearing in Delaware, Rich. Everybody I talked to there in Delaware is saying they are far worse off than they were four years ago. Even Joe Biden supporters here in Delaware are saying that they're ashamed and surprised that Joe Biden is com- confidence in office because the prices in Delaware are up. The, the two things across the country that are up through the roof are the two apps, Rich, food and fuel. People have yeah. to have gasoline for their cars, and they have to have food to feed their families. And those prices are through the roof. And uh, people are just telling me wherever I go in Delaware that, uh, hey, we are worse off than we were for under President Trump. Simple as that. That's the truth. I agree with that, Doc. Thanks for the call, brother. Have a great weekend. Godspeed to you, my man. And a big shout out to everybody listening on WDEL. Now, when we come back, we're going to get to the rest of your calls. Hang in there. Definitely getting to your calls. But I just wanted to share something I saw yesterday on social media, and I didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday because I think I saw it after the show. But listen to this. Seven Texas men filmed themselves gang raping two toddlers in the bathroom of a mall in Houston. Now, you would think that that's a fake story. That's a real story. Uh, Seven pedophiles were seen uh, abusing toddler children in videos seen by the FBI. This happened at a mall, and uh, this is not good. Not good. I mean, this is crazy stuff. We're talking about toddlers here. Uh, we'll, We'll get into that when we come back, plus your calls. Don't go anywhere. Again, the phone number, 833-482-5337. If you want to get in on this conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez, and we are coming right back. who, again, will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. The FBI has arrested Arthur Hector Fernandez III and charged the 29-year-old with sexual exploitation of children. His account was named in court documents that detailed the disturbing allegations that he and at least six other unidentified men sexually assaulted and raped a toddler at what appeared to be a Galleria Mall bathroom. Court documents say last month that the Australian Center to Counter Child Exploitation reported four explicit videos found on the dark web to the 
FBI in which at least two toddlers ages two and three were filmed being sexually and verbally assaulted by multiple men at once. Relatives of the toddlers told investigators Fernandez was a friend and fellow Galleria employee who offered to watch the kids while they were at work at the mall. Absolute insanity. I heard this yesterday and I thought to myself, I'm not a violent guy, but I would volunteer to beat the crap out of these people. I really would. And I think I would really enjoy hurting them. This is absolute crazy. Seven Texas men filmed themselves gang raping two toddlers, a two year old and a three year old. Now, if you're listening to me and you've never been a parent before, this might hit you a little different. You're probably like, yeah, that's messed up. But if you've actually raised a child and know what it's like to love and care for a two or three year old, your blood's boiling right now. And this is this is absolute insanity, in my opinion. This guy, Arthur Hector Fernandez and and, and his six crazy friends. Uh, I, I hope I really hope they get whatever's coming to them. I really, really do, because um, this is crazy. Horrifying videos uh, surface of at least seven men sexually abusing toddlers in the bathroom of a mall. This guy is 29 years old. He worked at a kiosk in the mall. I don't know what parent allowed their kid to go to do this, right? You know, whether it's suspecting or unsuspecting, you don't leave your little kids with some dude. That's number one. The FBI says they launched a probe last month because they found these videos, as you heard in the report, uh, shared by the Australian Center to Counter Child Exploitation. And God bless them and the work that they're doing. This guy, uh, Arthur Hector Fernandez, is accused of leading this gang rape. There's a picture of him here. A very flamboyant gay man is what he appears to be in this photo. My description of him, at least, that's what he looks like. He's holding like a flag over his head and making a provocative, very effeminate type of pose for the camera here. I just don't know what to say, honestly. This is sick, sick, crazy stuff. Uh, anyway, I'm going to get to your calls, get your reaction to this and everything else that we've been talking about. Uh, let's go to Jim, Kansas City, Missouri, um, listening to Rich Valdez, America at night dot com streaming online. Go right ahead, Jim. Uh, hi, Rich. Uh, I'm going to pass on talking about that. I uh, didn't know you were going to bring that up. I probably wouldn't have called. Um, I'm I called about what Nancy, your Nancy soundbite. Yeah, it, sure. It sounded it, it sounded to me like Nancy was going to say that uh, what she was thinking is that Donald Trump can't be president because he uh, participated in a insurrection. But I think that between when she meant to say that and when the guy asked the question, she thought better of saying it for whatever whatever convoluted reason. Uh, I mean, I mean, I can think of a lot of reasons why she shouldn't say something, why no one should say that. And uh, least of all her. So I kind of think that's why she uh, veered off and thought of some other reasons to say. Yeah, I think you're right. And that was exactly the argument that the uh, other caller uh, that called in earlier um, from, um, I forget where they were calling from, but he he made the same uh, assessment um, uh, or assertion that, that Trump was somehow unfit to serve because of what he did. And then he said, oh, he didn't do anything. Um, I guess not doing something to stop the um, alleged insurrection or whatever, what have you. And it, it's um, 
it's one story after the next. And, and I agree with you. Uh, Pelosi is likely going to go down that road because that's what she does. And she might have caught herself and figured there's another way, a better way, uh, a, a new talking point that we have to um, to try and, you know, and sully Trump's reputation. I, I just think ultimately a lot of people are just like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. What have you done for me lately? And I think a lot of people are more sympathetic to Trump than any Democrat is realizing right now. Um, we'll see, you know, how long that type of uh, sentiment can maintain. And if Trump can, you know, bring that across the finish line, I hope that he can for America's sake. But um, excellent point, Jim. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Pat, Sedona, Arizona, listening online. Rich Valdez, com. Pat, I know you have uh, you want to make a comment about the division that the country is facing. But I just want to get your thoughts on this story coming out of Texas where these uh, children were raped, these toddlers. What are your thoughts? I'll tell you what, Rich. Uh, thank you for uh, taking my call. I, you know, it almost leaves me speechless how awful and sick that is. But, you know, if people really want to know some knowledge, there's a movie out there that's called uh, The uh, Sound of Freedom. Mm-hmm. It won't get a Academy Award, but it should get a Academy Award. And that movie is all full of what these poor children were exploited and stolen from their families. You know, people put them... They were like a talent agency, and they took all these girls in, and they just stole them, and they sold them, and they did what they wanted with them. And that movie makes you understand to every country and to every our world, our country, what is our greatest asset, right? It's children. It's yeah. our future. We don't. Why do we work so hard? Is so we can make a life for them or give them a step in life, and it just makes me sick when I heard about that, you know. And uh, these men should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law, and they're going to be in prison. And boy, I <laughs> I wouldn't want to be them. Oh man, no. And oh, me either. And, no, I and, think you're spot on with that one. I wouldn't want to be these guys. And I think whatever it is that comes their way, um, they've got it coming. And hopefully it's not some sort of, uh, you know, acquittal or, or, you know, procedural maneuver where they don't get prosecuted. Uh, But this is really a a sick, sick thing. This guy, uh, Fernandez, was identified by bracelets that he had on. And one of the moms of the kids that was abused, the police showed the mom the most sanitized image they could from the abuse materials and she noticed a pair of bracelets that were owned by Fernandez, and that's how they were able to track him down by seeing the bracelets on him and his own social media. And just absolutely crazy. Um, There was an FBI agent, uh, Torrance White, warned parents that predators are often someone that they know. And um, Agent White told uh, ABC 13, the uh, perpetrators of these crimes are family members, teachers, and members of the community. Oftentimes, folks are looking for the monster in the white van, but oftentimes it's the person that you know. Fernandez was arrested uh, recently, remains in federal custody, the uh, largest mall in Texas and the seventh largest mall in the United States is where this occurred, and there's 400 stores in this particular mall. So just, just really let it sink in. This didn't happen in a basement. This wasn't a dungeon. 
This wasn't a, a private place. This was the mall. All of this stuff went down at the mall. Uh, let us go to uh, Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead. Hey, great to talk to you. Uh, I'll tell you, I was going to tell you about the, the chaos, that, that question. Sure. Uh, I think there is going to be a lot of chaos. I think if Trump wins uh, or even DeSantis, uh, you know, someone who's really going to stand behind conservative principles, they're going to try to terrorize us with riots like they did before and to make conservatives, you know, be scared. And uh, and then they'll that create a narrative that somehow Trump caused it. And then what they want us is to acquiesce and say, okay, never again, we'll never vote for a hardliner, you know. And we should. That, that's how people go into tyranny. They get exhausted and apathetic. And you know what? We're just going to have to be brave and realize it's a war. And, and let, let them throw a fit. Let them throw a fit. Let there be a civil war if need be. But we cannot give in. Um, so that was my comment. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. I don't, I don't think it will. But I think that uh, time is ripe for it, right? Um, uh, we, we see the writing on the wall. If government continues to be uh, the way they are, if um, we, we continue to see the, the government flexing on, on the people, with um, whether it comes to elections or anything else where they're basically saying, look, you don't count. No, we're going to take your candidate off the ballot. I mean, who does that? Who does that? If the guy's on the ballot, beat him fair and square at the ballot box, and that's it. Don't sit here and, you know, try to turn America on its head to say this guy is not allowed to run. Let the guy run and beat him if he's that bad. And if he's not that bad, then shut up. Right. That, that's really where we need to be. But this is the desperation that we see coming from the left, from critics of Donald Trump. And they're coming up with every excuse they can to break every rule they can because they can't beat this guy at the ballot box. I think that's pathetic. It's wrong. And hopefully uh, it doesn't spark uh, chaos, you know, from one end of the country to the other. Uh, my hope is that people are smarter than that and we can learn from the past. I don't know if that'll happen. But, Sarah, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Folks, we're coming right back. Your calls and more straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. We continue with your calls and more. Let's go to CR. Give us a call from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, KDKA. CR, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Likewise. Thank you, sir. My, my amigo on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> What's on your mind tonight? We hear a lot about uh, the need to uh, come together and develop a consensus between parties. But how can there be any middle ground found between the normal, rational, and sane and the left streaking toward greater insanity? Yeah. 
This is a very legitimate question, CR. And I'm not I'm not going to argue with you. And I'm the first guy saying we've got to find common ground and we've got to be good to our friends on the left and all that stuff. And I believe that. But you're right. For example, I don't know anybody uh, libertarian, radical right winger. Uh, I don't know anybody that condones pedophilia. Right. The story that we were just talking about. But there are people on the left that will call these people minor attracted persons and say that, you know, that, that this is their choice and this is how they are and try to argue that this is somehow okay, right? Like that guy, uh, Daniel Carlton Gadjasek, who uh, said that he advocated for intergenerational sex, saying that little kids should have sex with their uncles, their grandpas, their parents, and whatever and whatnot. That it, it was sick. It's just the whole thing is sick. And those people reside on the left. So you're right. When you have these types of very stark differences, there is no way that you can have consensus between... Uh, people that are normal and have political views and the absolute insanity of those on the left. Now, it doesn't mean everybody that's left-leaning is an insane pedophile, but it does mean that the insane pedophiles typically live on the left. And and I think you raise a good point, and I'm just using that one particular issue. But uh, the reality is you can't you can't mess around with crazy people. Right. Just like, you know, there are historically there have been people that have taken up residence on the right uh, that are Nazis and um, people that, you know, wouldn't mind seeing some Jews burn in an oven because they don't like that type of thing. Those people have no business in society, in my opinion. Right. Those are crazy people. So I get it. Uh, You know, if people want to say you can find crazies on both sides, I'm sure you can. But uh, the majority of these crazy ideas seem to be half baked and half cocked and coming from the left. And I agree with you when they're that far gone, when they're like, oh, yeah, nine month abortion. No problem. We can do that like they do in New Jersey. And everybody argues that you can't, but you can uh, full term, uh, late term abortion. These to me are just insane propositions. And when, when you have that, there is no common ground. And that's where you really got to focus on contrast. And you've just, you know, as the old saying goes, you agree to disagree. Or don't agree. Either way, we're not going to agree on this, right? We're not going to see eye to eye, and uh, nor do we have to, because there's certain things that are non-negotiable in life. Cr. I I believe you wholeheartedly. I can't see how normal, rational, and insane people could actually take a millimeter of a step to the left. Yeah, well, you know. So many people, and listen, I I get it. I think some people will take that millimeter step to the left if they feel that um, this is going to help their children, their family, their friend with the forgiveness of a student loan, uh, with uh, protecting Social Security. Right? A lot of people get duped into this stuff, and and that's why people start to go in that direction. And and lamentably, it's to me, it's all about people knowing what's going on. Doesn't mean that you know everybody on the left is a horrible person. I think there there are good people there that may be well intentioned, albeit making um, policies that are not great. But ultimately, that's why people do it. It's it's the bleeding heart within all of us. I think all of us have compassion and want to love our fellow man at some point in our lives in some way, and and we fall victim to the bleeding heart, thinking we're doing the right thing. And ultimately, what we're doing is uh, taking the bait. And and that's why I try not to take the bait. CR, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Folks, we continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead in the speed round. This is America at 
night with Rich Valdez. All right, it's the speed round. Keep it brief, but keep it concise. Let's go to Rena Martin, Tennessee, WCMT. Rena, go right ahead. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, you know, when The Sound of Freedom came out, it really, people have cognitive dissonance or something. You know, I, I don't understand how people don't see what's going on out there. But for whatever reason, uh, their lives are busy, whatever. Um, uh, the Sound of Freedom woke a lot of people up and for the first time they you know it's like wow this is actually going on and um you know i mean i'm way past that i'm into adrenochrome but what can we do as people i mean how can we continue to wake people up yeah well listen i think people just need to keep their eyes open and and be vigilant there's a guy out there who um who is a private citizen. I, I read his name last time. I don't have the article open for anymore, but he's one of these like pedophile hunters and he doesn't do anything violent. He doesn't do, he just gives tips to the cops and he goes after them. He gets them on tape. He embarrasses them. And uh, I think that's a, it's a perfect example of how people with a little bit of time, a little bit of money and a camera, you can make a difference. Rena, thank you for the call. Big shout out to everybody on WCMT. Let's go quickly to, Don in Dallas, Texas, KLIF. Don, very quickly, go right ahead. Yeah, Rich, thank you very much. Um, I listened to you, and you you had the uh, semen uh, Bruno on. Oh, yeah. For control guns. God, oh, that yeah. book was so good. Well, I'm glad you got the book. I'm glad you benefited from it. And thanks for tuning in, Don. I appreciate it. Big shout-out to everybody in Dallas, Texas, KLIF, and their sister station, WBAP, where you could hear us on the weekends. And uh, let me see. We got Kara in Eugene, Oregon, K-U-G-N. Go right ahead. Hi there. I'm somewhere outside Eugene. I wanted to comment on the horrific pedophile issue. I wanted to say that people in our society for so many years have been so tolerant of so many evil things, harming animals. Oh, it's just boys. They'll be boys or whatever. All that stuff on all layers of society and here we keep uh, sick people in jail for 30 years. Maybe then they put them to death or not. But we're feeding them and processing their sewage the whole time. I believe that these people ought to be dead. Dead. Yeah, I'm with dead. you, Kara. I'm not too far behind you. Call me heavy-handed, but that's what it is. Uh, big shout-out to my buddy Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR, Uh Big, big shout out to Rush Limbaugh, whose birthday is today, would be 73 years old. Uh, yesterday, excuse me. Uh, thank you, Bill, for that. Steve in Cleveland, Eduardo in Tampa, Jane in New York, Patrick in Newberry, New Hampshire. Sorry I couldn't get to you guys. Ken in Lansing. God bless you, America. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.